Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. Our New Testament reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 21, verses 25 to 36. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, You can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, give us expectant hearts for your goodness, for your mercy. Help us to hear your word well today so that we might make you better known in this world. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds would be acceptable in your sight. We ask it in Jesus' name, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today we are in the the first Sunday of Advent, and I know that probably most of us have a sense of what Advent is and what we uh, do in this season, but it's probably worth reminding ourselves what we think we're up to. Now, this is a time of uh, preparation and expectation. Advent comes from the Latin word uh, to wait. Um, But we're not just passively waiting for something to happen. Our Christians are people who learn to wait actively. This is a time when we remember that God has made promises about this world. And when God makes promises, God keeps them. If God has promised something, it is as good as done. And so we're getting ready for that, for that fulfillment. 
You know, the 20th century uh, theologian Karl Barth said that, in a sense, the church is always in a season of Advent. He obviously wasn't trying to sell Christian season calendars, but uh, his point was that um, Advent invites a kind of posture, a particular way of being in the world, a way that anticipates the coming and action of God. Advent is a time of paying attention, of discerning what God is up to and conforming our lives to what we know is coming. It's, a, it's not just a prolonged uh, preparation for the Christmas season. It's not just a reminder that we better start our Christmas shopping uh, or make sure our Christmas social schedule is in order. It's an invitation instead to repentance, that kind of churchy word that means to change our minds and go a new direction, to orient ourselves to the ways and means of God. Now, obviously, on the other hand, Advent is a preparation for the Christmas season. Uh, but at the beginning of this Christian year, we have this reminder that the one whom we're waiting for is always the one who comes saying, repent and believe, for the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. This is what we're waiting for, right? This promise of the kingdom of heaven, that the day when heaven and earth are one, when things are healed and the world will teem with love and justice and righteousness. We're waiting for the day that God gets the world that God wants, that God's dream for the world is complete. And we'll catch a glimpse of God's commitment to that day in the child who will be born to Mary. The one who will show us what God is like, who will be God with us, God for us. We come back to this season year over year to lean again into the fact that while God's dream for the world often seems like a kind of distant improbability, we've already seen evidence that it's on the move. And so we make this space collectively to, to reorient and reassess and reimagine. Not the world simply as it seems to be, but in the wake of God's promises that there will come a day when all things will be made new and God will be fully and completely among us, just as it was in the beginning. And so Advent is a time when we come back to the question, if God's will and way, what we hear echoed in the prophets of Israel and in the life of Jesus, if God's will and way is how things are going to be, what do we need to do to get in on that? Which is to say that Advent makes a, a claim on us, right? The season is meant to make clear the biblical and theological uh, truth that there are only two options, God's way and everything else. Now, there's a way of saying that that can be kind of fully full of heavy-handed legalism. Uh, that fact could be used to scare us into submission, you might picture the street preacher yelling at us to turn or burn. But God did not give us a spirit of fear. And so while I believe that being the people of God is serious business, I also believe that it is seriously joyful business. You know, in our, our family, we, we like to remind each other of the very silly fact that everything in the universe is either a duck or not a duck. Homeschool science, everybody. <laughs> Just kidding. Everything in the universe is either a duck or not a duck. It's true. Uh, that, that, that makes us laugh. Um, in our home, this is, this is who you're dealing with, folks. Um, but as Christians, I think we learn to delight in the fact that we're either living in God's will or we're not, that there is God's way and 
everything else. And we delight because God's will is good and very good. God made this world in goodness. God is committed to restoring this world to goodness. And when we discover that we are not living in reality, that reality, when we discover that we are not living according to God's goodness, we are perfectly free to change. We are under no obligation to live according to the ways and means of the world around us. We are perfectly free to shape our lives, everything we do according to the hope and peace and joy and love of God for which we and all things are created. We are perfectly free. And I think Advent invites us to imagine what that looks like and then to imagine it again. Advent is a season of imagination. Imagination is one of our most underused and underrated faculties, I think. You know, in the past 300 years or so, at least in the, the West, it's been kind of much maligned as belonging to the realm of make-believe, right? But, you know, so we're more concerned with what's visible and measurable, what we can get our hands on. But the poet Malcolm Geit uh, quotes Shakespeare to insist that the, uh, the imagination apprehends, the imagination grabs hold of, the imagination apprehends more than cool reason can ever comprehend. Imagination apprehends more than cool reason can ever comprehend. Imagination is a gift. It's a way of knowing. And a baptized imagination, an imagination caught up in the ways and means of God, is the way that we begin to apprehend, to understand, to perceive and begin to see and grab hold of the promise that a new world is not only possible, but on the move. And we're made to get in on it. That's what we're meant for. So Advent sharpens our imaginations, which are always being dulled by the world as it seems to be. I think we're easily convinced uh, that what we see around us really is the truest thing. We settle for ways of being in the world, of organizing our time, of spending our money, of relating to our neighbors, ways of understanding ourselves and our place in the world that don't often look much like hope and peace and joy and love. We settle for ways of being in the world that don't look like we really believe that another world is possible, let alone relentlessly on its way. You know, North Americans are well, it's well documented that we're at once among the richest, uh, most successful, technologically advanced people the world has ever known, and the most depressed, anxious, and lonely people the world has ever known. And there are lots of days where it doesn't seem like much else is possible. And so we do our best within the systems and structures, the rhythms and bandwidth of the world as we know it. We shrug our shoulders and submit to the ways and means that, are, that at best don't bring flourishing and at worst crush it. And Advent invites us year after year to do something else. Or if we're already striving for that, if we're already yearning for that, to lean in harder to God's promises. Advent is the year-over-year -year insistence that God will get the world God wants, and it starts now. Now we get to throw off everything that binds and weighs us down so that we can run and dance in the wide space of God's goodness and grace. We don't have to wait for somewhere, someday. Advent invites our, us to let our imaginations be baptized, to imagine and reimagine something altogether new. Now, that's why we begin this season with another apocalyptic reading, very much like the one we listened to from Mark's gospel a couple weeks ago. 
If you want to hear what I had to say about that, you can go to the website or the podcast. <laughs> but this is Luke's riff on basically the same scene. Jesus is teaching at the temple, ground zero for the way things are, at least in the minds of the disciples, the symbol of the systems and structures of power, the ways and means that govern the order of the world as it is. And Jesus is pretty clear, once again, that the way things are is not the way that they will be. That the whole thing is going to come tumbling down in order to make way for God's way. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, that's always a bit of a mixed bag, at least for me. I love to know that uh, God will get the world God wants. I love to know that love and justice and righteousness will one day rule the day. The life and life abundant for all things is on the way. But the more I know that, the more I am confronted with the ways that my life is more aligned with the way things are than with the way that they will be. You know, I've always kind of resonated with St. Augustine's famous prayer, Lord, make me chaste, but not just yet. <laughs> now, I feel a tension between wanting the world that God wants and the reality that life for me in this world isn't so bad. The way things are is working out pretty well for me. It's part of me that understands the crowd in Jesus' reading that faints from fear and foreboding at the idea of a world turned right side up. But Jesus invites me, invites all of us, to have a different imagination. And that's what apocalyptic preaching does. It opens us up to apprehend more than we can comprehend. To understand the world in a way that our sin-dulled senses have a hard time keeping up with. Now, Jesus' words are not a literal forecast for us. Instead, they disorient us in this world as it is so that we can be reoriented to the wonder of the world as it will be. They make us ready for the future that is coming with a, a joy more reckless than we could ever hope to muster up ourselves. In the company of Jesus, we don't faint with fear and foreboding at the world overturned, but we get to be part of that great cloud of witnesses that jumps to its feet ready to dance our way into the kingdom of God, ready to move with the rhythms of love and peace and hope and joy here and now. And I want to make clear as ever that this is about here and now. We're not indifferent to the world as it is. We're not hostile to the world around us. Jesus does tell us not to be distracted by the, world, the, the worries of life and by drunkenness and dissipation, which may be, in fact, a Christmas word for us. But Christians aren't meant to dig ourselves into a hole and then wait until the end of the world as we know it. We don't shrug our shoulders when things go sideways simply because we have another hope. It's, it's a two-step process, right? First, we let Jesus reshape our imaginations and give us a new vision for the reality of things and how they're meant to be. And then we're meant to bring that vision to life, to be its beacons. To let it do its work in us so that others can see it. You know, one of the reasons that Christianity spread so effectively at the beginning uh, went from being a weird little Jewish sect to being the official religion of the Roman Empire in around 300 years, which historically is speaking is in the blink of an eye. One of the reasons that happened is that again and again, when plagues hit cities, which was a pretty common thing, Christians stuck around and cared for the sick. They were the first frontline workers. The powerful, the people of means, the ones for whom the current world order was a pretty good deal, they'd leave 
they'd get out of town. But the Christians had a different, a new imagination for how things are, for the value of people, for a new possibility. And so they stayed and they nursed the sick back to health at the risk of their own lives often. They were consumed by a vision of God's love and justice and righteousness, God's healing for the world. Shaped in the way of Jesus, the way of God's wild self-giving for the sake of all things, they began to embody a promise that nothing in heaven, earth, or hell would get the last word on us, but only God's love, only God's life, only God's good purposes will have the final say. And that little group of weirdos with their baptized imaginations changed the world. By not living for how things are, but how they will be, they wooed their neighbors, their friends and their enemies into something more beautiful, a more beautiful way. And they did that because they were a people of hope. And being hopeful doesn't mean burying our heads in the sand and waiting for the storms to pass. It doesn't mean pretending that everything's fine when it's not. The Bible is full of lament, especially the Psalms, which tells us that sometimes the key to reimagining the world is first to call it as it is. Giving voice to pain and hurt, to frustration and fury is one of the ways that we name the, the fact that things are not the way that they are meant to be. But in the end, I think that being hopeful is knowing that the second verse in the Bible, pretty much the first thing we say about God, this God who has refused to let go of the world, this God who will be God with us come up, may the first thing we say about this God is that God is no stranger to making beautiful things out of chaos. And we see that again and again in the life of Israel and the church. And as Christians, we're learning to conform our lives to the fact that that's the God that's on the move. It's God who continually makes beauty out of chaos. Which is not always easy, of course. We have stunted imaginations for the ways and means of God. We have lots to distract us, some of which is really great stuff from the way of Jesus, from trusting that he is the way and the truth and the life. There are things in this world that seem immovable, and if they should happen to move, we're not quite sure what we would do with ourselves. We're always in danger of being among those who faint with fear and foreboding when things go sideways. But Advent is this space to prepare and to re-prepare and to repair for something else. It's a time of grace and imagination, a time of repentance, letting our minds not be conformed to the patterns of this world, as St. Paul puts it, but let them be transformed for the sake of God's kingdom. So if you get the weekly update, you'll know that a group of us are reading this uh, book called Practicing the Way of Jesus, Life Together in the Kingdom of Love by Mark Scandrett. This book encourages us uh, to create experiments that move us towards uh, trusting that what we learn in God, of God in Christ is true. The book invites us to create practices that trigger a baptized imagination and move us toward the God who comes towards us. And so the group of us have each committed to uh, creating some experiments of our own through the season of Advent. And, you know, on the surface of things, these experiments are not going to change the world. You know, one of us is going to take out her headphones when she goes for a walk and journal what she notices. 
A reminder that if we're not paying attention to the world around, it's going to be hard to love the things that God loves. One of us is going to sit for 40 minutes in silence, and another one is going to take an intentional lunch break in the midst of a busy time. Both leaning into the promise that we're not meant for constant work and relentless doing. We are not slaves, but we are free. One of us is going to undertake a creative project, a beautiful witness to the fact that we are created in the image of the creator, that we're meant for creativity, not just productivity. One of us has come up with a project to help us lean into the deep peace of Jesus that surpasses knowledge and understanding and circumstance. A couple of us are taking the opportunity over the next four weeks to develop a more intentional practice of prayer because we're made for intimacy with God above all else. I'm going to give up recreational use of screens, which is a constant source of distraction for me from God and the things and people that God loves, from sundown to sunup. None of these things will in and of themselves change the world, but our hope is that they will disrupt us enough so that God can... Uh, do God's work of reshaping our imaginations, sharpening our senses so that we become more and more people who have eyes to see what God is up to in and around us and a deeper desire to get in on it, come what may. So as we enter our time of silence now, I want to invite everyone to join us. I ask God in this few minutes coming up, if there's something in your life that's contrary to the life that Jesus wants you to live. Or, you know, maybe there's something that the Spirit has been nudging you towards or away from for some time. Ask God for a practice that would help you live into that reality. Or maybe you just need a fresh imagination for what God's up to in the world, for the ways and means of God for you. I want to encourage you to ask God about that and just see what happens. Because our commitment, our conviction in this season is that God is on the move. The time is at hand, and we want to be ready. So let's make it so. Amen.